we come to the Christmas season in America, we do some things about Christmas, I think, really well. Other things I think we suffer in, uh, or maybe, maybe not ideal in, uh, in some of the ways that we do Christmas. And it's been fun to be, live around the world and to be around the world and to be in different places, uh, uh, at Christmas time in the different seasons of life, uh, in the seasons on the calendar and to see how it's expressed differently wherever you are. But there are some things that we do in America that, you know, just point blank aren't, aren't biblical, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. One of the things that McDaniels like to do is we like to watch movies around Christmas time. We like to see good movies and, and get the latest movie. But, you know, there's certain movies that come out or that have been out for a long time that are classics that you just got to watch around Christmas time. It's a wonderful life. The Miracle on 34th Street. In fact, if you watch It's a Wonderful Life every year as if it is a religious pilgrimage for you around this time of year, would you please raise your hand? I want to see who you are. All right, it's a good number of y'all. What about Miracle on 34th Street? What about A Christmas Story? All right, uh, more of you. What about Family Vacation? Raise your hand. All right. See, the IQ starts falling uh, the, 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 the more we go into this Christmas traditions that we have that go on around us. Well, I have to admit, I do enjoy... Uh, the Christmas Vacation. Uh, I enjoy that movie in the edited version. I must warn parents if you haven't seen it. You want to watch the edited version. It cleans it up a little bit. At least you get the, a lot of the humor in it. And, and this has become a classic in many people's lives that they got to watch it. They're going to watch it together as a family. They laugh at it. You know, but one of the things I think we laugh about it is we find more in common with Clark Griswold, I think is his name, than we do George Bailey. All right. We have more in common with him than we do some of the other characters in the other classical Christian or Christmas movies that, that, that come out. We just see our families. We see our neighborhoods. We see things that go on and we just can identify with that. So we laugh at ourselves in some respects, laughing at, at the movie. We all have those anti-Christmas people uh, in our lives or in our circles or in our neighborhoods, the Scrooges, if you will, just like Clark Griswold had the, the, the neighbors next to him that they didn't like. Everyone, I think, has the uh, polar opposite in-laws, that they come together and you just try to navigate the in-laws for a little bit. And their number one goal is just to spoil the kids. And that's their aim and, and ambition in life. And then we have the, uh, the Ellen Griswold, who is the one mother in the house who is the worker bee mother. She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's doing all the work. She's over, overworked and underappreciated. I think we can identify with that. We can identify with the great-grandparents who come suffering from dementia or the cousin Rockies who actually pee in the bed whenever the cousins are sleeping together. You know, things like that. We can identify with things like that. And who doesn't have a uncle? Cousin Eddie, cousin Eddie, that's right. A cousin Eddie. I mean, we, you gotta love cousin Eddie. He's a, he's a, I mean, his IQ's the size of my shoe and, uh, he's just, he's just funny. And, but we all have somebody. In fact, you're right now, I guarantee you, you're thinking of your cousin or your uncle Eddie or whoever, whatever he is to you. And you're thinking of him. I mean, this guy is, I think steals the show. But then there's the Clark Griswold, Jr., that is, that, absolutely is the all-American dad 
who wants his kids to experience the, the, the utopia of Christmas traditions, cuts down his own tree, decorates the house with lights outside for as much as he can, puts everything he can, even, again, this is the American way, even leverages the family so that he can give the kids the gift and the family the gift that he's been counting on and he's counting on that bonus coming in and he leverages the family so that they can get that gift. And if you've seen the movie, you know the money doesn't come in. And whenever you spend things anticipating money coming in, you're just setting yourself up for disaster. You know, when you think about the most expensive gift that you will spend this season, on the most loved and cherished person in your life that you will spend it on, and yet six months from now, a year from now, they may not remember it, it may not be around, it may be at some charitable organization donated somewhere, it may be lost or broken or stolen, and yet we'll spend so much time and spend so much of our year buying these kinds of things. And I'm not anti-Christmas. Well, I, I did a lot of shopping this week online. I love this online shopping gig. Uh, and and I, I missed the malls, but I went out to the malls yesterday. I went to Walmart yesterday and it was crazy. And we're still, uh, you got a whole other weekend to go. I say all that to say this. We can spend an, an exuberant, exorbitant amount of money on these, these precious gifts that we give. And it will not fill the deepest longings of the soul. The deepest longings of the heart. We will miss it. And I am not anti-gift. I am pro-gift, but I am pro-making sure that when we give, we don't do the great American tradition that is happening in our, in our own culture. So I speak to our own culture today and to say this, that we have traded the mall, the manger for the mall. And my fear is that we will misplace the manger for the mall in our lives. And we'll pass by everything else. And, oh, no, 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 I'm here on Christmas season, Mike. I just sang the Christmas carols. I'll be here on Christmas Eve night. I'm with you, man. No, this is not a, a seasonal relationship. This is not a seasonal show up and attend. This is a relationship that goes the year round. And it is hopefully nurtured and and grows and you invest a little extra time and energy into this season to make sure that your faith and and relationship is growing even more. I want to take a look today in Luke chapter 1, a very familiar passage of Scripture, very familiar story. In fact, Sunday School 101, if you've been to church at any length of time, you have heard what I'm about to share today. And here's the thing about a challenge as a pastor is every year, You come back, I come back, and I come to this season, and the challenge is placed on me and placed on you for me to tell you the same old story in a different way. And there's really not a, there's really, I can't do that. But hopefully what I can do is maybe dust it off a little bit, point our eyes a little deeper, point our souls in a little deeper and our spirits in, and hopefully it will refresh and restart something and ignite something that we will appreciate the gift of the manger more than the gift of the mall. If you have your Bibles, let's look at uh, a passage here where in, when, um, in Luke chapter 1, there's an amazing story that comes, uh, is, comes into play in chapter 1 of Luke when Gabriel shows up to a lady named Elizabeth and tells her, 
post-menopause, I must say, tells her, you're going to have a baby. Tell, tell Zachariah, you're going to have a baby. Go, go home and tell your wife, and here it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, this miraculous birth of this, this lady who's way past childbearing age, and she's having a baby. But then there's another lady who's told, and she's at the other end of the spectrum. She's not postmenopausal. She hasn't even had a relationship with a guy. She's a teenager. She's a teenager, and she is told that she's going to have a baby. And they're related. And all of a sudden, when Mary finds out, and you know the story, Mary is the mother of Jesus, the early mother of Jesus, and she finds out, what does she do? She takes a trip, and she goes and spends it with her relative. We don't know what kind of relative, aunt, uncle, excuse me, not an aunt, uncle, but an aunt, uh, uh, a cousin, or what the relative relationship was, but they were related. She spends three months with her. And they share stories and they go through the motion. What we're going to do is we're going to look into one moment of their three-month period. One trimester Mary spends with Elizabeth. And in this, in this moment, this time when they come together after being separated with these two miraculous conceptions that happen in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see the response. And let me tell you this. It wasn't equal attention given to Elizabeth's pregnancy and equal attention given to Mary's It was total focus on the baby in the womb of Mary. And you'll see that from the beginning because there's two songs that come out of this. Actually, Elizabeth starts singing a song. Mary turns around and starts singing a song. And this, 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 this worship experience takes place and it brings it right back to Jesus. And and so let's look at uh, verse 39, Luke chapter 1. And in those days, Mary rose and with haste, or, or went in ha- with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, you might say, if you're a mother in this room, I have felt that, I felt that leaping. I have felt that movement. There was something different. And you'll see as we keep reading here, there was something different about the timing, the way, the movement that happens inside of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed! Now here's where she starts singing. All right, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of the womb. Now, I want to point something out, okay? And I want to offend anybody's heritage or their history or anything like that. But the focus is not on Mary. Mary was a chosen vessel, a beautiful virgin woman who gave birth to the Messiah. But the focus in this praise, in this doxology, is not on Mary. Notice the focus is on whom Mary is carrying. Blessed are you. Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, emphasis there on using a phrase, even Elizabeth knew. Remember, she was just declared to be full of the Holy Spirit. She knew that who Mary was carrying was the Messiah. So how is it that the mother of my Lord, Elizabeth, declares the deity of Christ right there in her own living room? 
Why is it granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? And behold, when the sound of the greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed. Three different times Elizabeth uses the word blessing. 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 Blessed is she who believed and there would be the fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is a beautiful moment. Now, you've got to take a moment with me, please, and go back. Go back into Mary's skin. She is growing up in a male-dominated world where it was absolutely socially not only awkward but an outcast to be a teenager unwed and pregnant. And that's exactly what she was. She was a social outcast. She was, she was a person who would be, she was actually betrothed, engaged to be married to Joseph, and Joseph had every right under God's law and under man's law to not only uh, divorce her or leave her, but also to have her stoned. That's how of a tentious moment. Now, just keep, stay in Mary's skin a little longer. As she finds out she's pregnant, she has got to be torn, as the Gabriel, the angel, has told her, that you're pregnant and you're carrying the Son of God with you. That what an honor that is, but at the same time, what will I do? How will I describe this? How will I explain this away? How will I explain this to my fiancé? As they are torn in this middle, in this, in this, in this tentious moment, she is struggling, she is wrestling with this, and she goes to Elizabeth. So she goes away to the hill country of Judah. She finds her aunt, cousin, whomever. She finds Elizabeth, and Elizabeth blesses her, blesses her, blesses her. You are carrying the Lord. So it affirmed and confirmed everything the angel had already told her. So at this point, you've got to imagine what's going on inside of Mary. And Mary then turns. And I, th- I think it's it probably one of the most intimate moments in all... Think, think about it with me. It is the most intimate moment in the entire Christmas narrative, what we're about to read. Now, it's one thing to hear about the, the, the shepherd boys. And that's a pretty cool light show, fireworks in the first century. All right, just to be able to see that. It's pretty cool to see angels. I have to say it's pretty cool to have magi or wise people from the east to come bring you some... Pretty useless gifts. I mean, what, what good do you do with frankincense? What good do you do with myrrh? I mean, what brings some practical, you know, um, bottles and diapers and things like that. But anyway, you have these people coming from afar, bringing you gifts. Pretty cool story. But the most intimate part of the narrative is right here. When what Mary does in the next few verses, from verse 46 uh, to, to the end of verse 55 you find Mary declaring in some doxology, some praise moment, where she starts praising the baby that's inside of her womb. Now, I just want to take a moment. I want to say today, before we go any further into this Christmas season, let's do this. Let's stay in Mary's skin, and let's learn to see Jesus through Mary's eye. This unbelievable moment, this unbelievable gift, and this unexplainable situation that she is in. It is unfathomable. It is uncommon. It is any other unword you can come up with. 
It is that whenever you look at the Christmas story. And I want to see the three unbelievable gifts that come with the Christ at Christmas for you and I, as we go out into this world, into this Christmas, let's just live it through the eyes, through the soul, through the spirit of Mary. The very first thing that I see here in her declaration, in her song, is that I am spiritually complete. Now, before we read the, the passage, I want us to point out something here. Everyone in this room has a body, all right? However many people are in this room, aren't you glad to know I'm Captain Obvious, I'm telling you, you have a body. But you also have a mind, and you say, thank you, Mike, I go to school, I've gone to school, I I exercise my mind, I know I have a mind. But I hope you also realize you also have a spirit. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, you're a trichotomy, you're made up of three parts. Paul prayed it. He prayed this. If you, if, you, if you remember, a few weeks ago I shared it as well. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May the God of peace. Now just stop there. Who's the God of peace? Who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus. So may Jesus, if you can take it like that, may the God of peace himself sanctify us, set you apart, make you right, make you complete, finish you out, make you what you ought to be. You entirely, and may your spirit and your soul, and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul prays over his believers, and what I pray over you, what I pray over my children, is God make them complete body, soul, and spirit. Now, hang with me on this because it's going to become important in the passage that we're about to read. There is a difference between the body the spirit, and the soul. Let me focus then between the mind or the soul and the spirit. There's a difference. And we need to understand that we need to be whole and complete in all of those areas. This is not just in the New Testament. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Isaiah said it like this, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. The spirit and the soul run parallel through life. They run parallel inside of us. When our body dies, our body goes into the grave. And you know what goes with it? Our mind will go there. Our soul will go there. Our suke will go there. Our psychology will go there. But there's another part of us, our spirit. It lives forever. It lives forever and never dies. And it will go on forever and ever in some eternal existence. Now notice Mary's response. Verse 46, let's begin reading. This is what Mary said. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in the God of my Savior. Mary is saying in her teenage impregnated state with all the emotions and the hormones that would be going on in any other teenager who's pregnant at this point or any other woman pregnant at this point, she's got all this going on and what is she saying? Every bit of me, God, my soul my mind is the Greek word there, suke. My, my, my mind, my, my psychology. We get the word psychology from suke. My mind is all about you, God. It is rejoicing in you. It is magnifying you, but also my spirit. So here, here's, here's what I want to make about this. The beauty of the Christmas reality, not just the story, the reality of Christ coming to earth 
In this first Christmas account of Mary celebrating it before any of us ever even laid eyes or anybody ever laid eyes on the, on the, on the Son of God is this, is that she was made complete. Everyone in this room has a body, soul, and a spirit. My question to you, you may be the strongest person in this room, you may be the most intelligent person in this room, but is your spirit whole in this room? Have you been spiritually born again? Have you had a spiritual health assessment done? Because whenever Mary encountered and realized that the God of the universe was living inside of her, her soul and her spirit rejoiced. There's a lot of people in this time of year that their soul is not rejoicing. Gallup did a study and found that one in four actually are depressed during the Christmas season. Americans, in our affluence, 25% of us are depressed. USA Today came out a number of years ago but said that fewer than one, uh, 21% of the people focus on renewing their spiritual lives during the Christmas season. Yet that is the emphasis. Mary said, my soul and my spirit. But yet, most Americans will not take time this season to stop long enough to renew their spirit, to find hope in their spirit, light in their spirit, direction in their spirit. And then as so many people will spend this Christmas, as many Christmases, all alone by themselves, elderly people in particular, just watching television. I say all that to say that this is the season that we talk about love, joy, and peace. But I wonder, do we really have it inside? heard of one lady who was walking through the mall, double-decker, triple-story mall, and, and she was carrying all of her bags and bumping into everyone else as everyone else was bumping into her. She got to the elevator, and everybody was on the elevator, and she was all disgusted, and she gave everybody this stink eye, move over, I'm coming in. And so she came, forces herself in, everybody moves around. And she said this out kind of under her breath, but enough where everybody can hear it. Whoever's responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. Then a voice from the back of the crowded elevator said, don't worry, they did. They crucified him. You know... I think to pause and to ask yourself this question. As Mary said from the depths of her being, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit, my body, my soul, my spirit is wholly yours, God. It is wholly yours, completely yours, fully yours. Be fully mine. Pause long enough in this season and know Him in that way. Number two, Mary realized something that about this Christmas reality and that, that it included her and it made this, included her in this Christmas story regardless of her social status. It levelized everything. Now, let me just emphasize this for just a moment. Again, remember, Mary, a woman in a male-dominated world. Mary, probably from Nazareth or around there, and nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Mary, engaged, but now appearing to be as if she's been promiscuous, she's pregnant. She has so many strikes against her. So many reasons to throw up her arms at Christmas and say, I don't want anything to do with this. But yet when she paused long enough in the season, she saw that 
It was an equalizer. That, that God came to the lowest of the lows, came to the knots and the nobodies, the nobody of significance, and came to her and decided God would enter into time and space through a lowly nobody teenage girl with pimples still on her face. And that's how he would enter into this world. One pastor said it like this, the fact that God sent a person bespeaks God's desire to be relevant, understandable, approachable, relational. And Jesus came dressing in the garb of the day, speaking the language of the time, eating, sleeping, sweating, and having body odor. He was someone everyone could approach. Notice what Mary said in verse 48 in her in her moment of praise and song of adoration to God, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. The humble estate of his servant. Mary was nothing of significance. She didn't have a last name. We don't have her address. We don't know anything about her. But God, listen, God has a special place in his heart for the knots and the nobodies. And the Christmas story doesn't start with a mighty, rich, powerful, affluent America. It starts with the knots, the nobodies, the zeros, teenage girls who have nothing and have only the chance of losing it all. Even in verse 53, it says, He filled the hungry with the good things. And the rich... He sent away empty. In verse 52, he says this, He brought down the mighty from their thrones. He exalted those of humble estate. This stuck with Mary. This meant a lot to Mary. That God would go down and go not move up, but He would go down. I think about what we did last year, last Christmas time, if you remember we, we rallied around a, 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 an organization in, in Mumbai, India that was rescuing women who were caught in human trafficking. And we raised enough money to help rescue 13 ladies who wanted to leave that lifestyle, who had been sold to pay off a debt, who had been entrapped, who had been kidnapped, who had been given over by their family. They were disgraced to go back to their family, but they wanted out. And there's a house over there, call it a halfway house, if you will, that enables women to come out. And not only do they, 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 they get a home and they get a skill and they get an opportunity to get a new life, they also get the Word of God presented to them. And beautiful things have been happening. And 13, Randy followed the money all the way to the, to the very home that we helped. And that's a beautiful thing in Mumbai, but we've seen another opportunity. And in this coming year, we want to ramp this up to a new level. We want to rescue 13 plus women. We want to assist these women. Now we're going to take our ladies and we're going to allow them to go to help these ladies and to pour into these ladies and disciple these ladies in Northeast India. And so we're going to take it to a new level. And here's the beauty of the Christmas story. The Christmas story started with a no law, not of an unnamed teenage girl. And today it is digressed or progressed. I'll let you kind of classify it to the affluent America. We're going to take the Christmas story back to the unnamed servant, humble girls that don't know about Jesus. 
the challenges that every family in this room come back on Christmas Eve night at one of our two gatherings, bring an offering, and a third of that offering is going to go to helping this in this project. Because we've got to realize that the Christmas story is not just for my family, all nice and, knee, uh, nice and nestled around the table, but it's for the world. George Truett said it like this, Christ was born in the first century, but it belongs to all centuries. He was born a Jew, but he belongs to all races. He was born in Bethlehem, but he belongs to all countries. And we can't keep him to ourselves. Number three, there's an infinite amount of mercy when you come to the Christmas story. In this reality Mary was living in, she was realizing the mercy of God. Now, I would have probably said in my understanding of grace and mercy that it was more about the grace of God, but I had to understand and wrestle with the meaning of grace and mercy. Maybe you've heard this. It's been around a long time, but, but grace is this. Grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. I think it's a good definition. Somebody said it like this. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay? You didn't deserve it. Grace is, you got it. Okay? Mercy is this. Not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. Now, it is beautiful whenever you experience grace. It's also amazing and transforming when you experience mercy. And there is a big difference between the two, but yet they go hand in hand together. When a trooper pulls you over this Christmas as you're on your way to Grandma's house or you're on your way back from Grandma's house and you're going over the speed limit, you know you're going over the speed limit, you broke the speed limit and you're pulled over and he gives you a warning and not a ticket. What was that? That was mercy. All right, you didn't get what you deserved. Whenever you, this next week of finals, you get caught taking exams and you don't exactly do it in an honest manner and you get caught and you could be expelled, you could be flunked, and your teacher somewhere inside of her, it's some Christmas desire to, to have some Christmas cheer spread abroad, she doesn't flunk you or he doesn't flunk you, then that's mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. Whenever you're in a relationship and the relationship is fractured because of broken trust and that other person has every reason to put you out on the curb and to to give you the papers you need to get to get out of their life and they don't, you just experienced mercy. The thing about mercy is you can never, you're never entitled it. It's always granted. It's always given to you because because of the, the person who's been offended finds it inside themselves to give it to you. Whenever you look at Mary's situation, look at verse 50. She said this, and His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation. So there's enough there for you. There's enough there for me. There's enough there for your children, my children, Mary, and all the way through the line. There's enough mercy. Don't miss mercy. We need to give mercy. I thought about some opportunities in my life when I experienced mercy. I debated about whether or not I would share the name of this person, but I am just in honor of them. So whenever I was in junior high, I was not a good kid. I was probably most, as many of y'all know, grew up in a blended family and the struggles and the tensions of that. And that was the time in my life whenever I was the most mischievous or just 
downright wrong means. When I was first introduced to to, to drugs, it was when I was first introduced to, to alcohols, whenever sex became revel, rel, uh, rampant in the schools. It's whenever it just it, reality of this junior high boy was on me. In about the eighth and ninth grade, I was as much into the scene as anybody else could be in the scene at that age. And I got in all manner of trouble. I mean, that was back in the good old days when you, the teachers would take you out in the hallway and spank you. All right? Those are the good old days. I mean, I can remember Mr. Anderson and Mr. Harris, my math teacher, taking me out many times and winding up and laying it on me. And I I was suspended for things that today I would be expelled for. And I'm not going to give you my rap sheet. I'll just leave it at that. That's that's the manner I was. And one of the places you did not want to go in my junior high was to be sent to the vice principal's office. The vice principal was a former Chicago Bear linebacker. And he had hands that were twice the size of mine. And he was a head and shoulders taller than me. And I was as big then as I am now. And he was big. And Mr. Phillips was his name. And uh, he, he was a strong man. And he wore me out. And he suspended me a number of times. But I can tell you this about Mr. Phillips, because he and I got to know each other quite well in, that, in, the, in those years. He also knew where I came from and knew my story, because we had spent a lot of time talking. There were some times, though, that I deserved a lick, I deserved a, a suspension, I deserved expulsion, that what he would do is says, Mike, come with me. And we'd walk outside the school building, and I didn't know if it was my long walk to death or what, but we'd walk outside the first time, and then we walk outside a couple more times and he'd put his big old linebacker hands on my shoulder and he'd squeeze it real tight and he'd say, Mike, you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to change. I'm not going to suspend you and I'm not going to spank you this time. But you're going to have to learn. And I can tell you right now, I've been in trouble a lot in school. But Mr. Phillips is the most meaningful vice president principle in my life. In fact, when I moved back from Africa and my kids started going to Elmwood and Rogers, he was the vice principal over there. And so I went to him and he said, oh no, there's McDaniels in the school. (laughs) I said, no, I think they're better than me. We've improved since then. But the beauty of mercy, getting or not getting what you really deserve. That's a beautiful thing. And I don't know what it is if somebody in your life needs mercy. Somebody in your life needs grace. They walk hand in hand together, but they're polar, they're opposites. Do you need to be giving grace? Do you need to be giving mercy? Do you need to receive mercy? Because I tell you what, everyone who has a relationship with God, I don't care if you're Mary, because Mary was facing the reality of her own sinfulness and her need for mercy. And yet, as she bore the Son of God, as she carried the Son of God, she realized that God was showing her mercy. You'll not get this at a mall. You'll only find this in the manger. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for this day. I thank you for these moments and I thank you for Mary 
innocent yet guilty. So much life ahead of her, yet, Lord, all the world was on her shoulders. Wow. What she experienced, what she went through. Lord, may we enter into Christmas through Mary's skin and eyes today. No, we're not bearing you, Lord, into this world, but we're living with you inside of us if we know you as our Lord and Savior. You, Lord, you complete us just as Elizabeth declared, my Lord, just as Mary declared, my Lord, you are the Lord. Thank you for completing us. Thank you for leveling the playing field and allowing the the knots and the nobodies of an Indian and even of a Bethlehem or a Nazareth or a, a Bentonville or a Rogers or a Bella Vista or a Centerton. The knots and the nobodies that fill this room right now, Lord, making Christmas real. Thank you, Lord, for making mercy abundant. Help us to show mercy to those who need mercy. We're so quick to go to justice. Help us to give mercy. Lord, help us to see you today, see you in this season, see you in this moment, and walk with you the rest of our days. In Jesus' name.